0: Our favorite, most beloved English nanny, Mary Poppins, aptly reminds us that a job well begun is only half done. Half done. In the Christian church, right around Lent time, we often have this debate, what is, what's more important? I think Adam referenced this in his uh, sermon on Easter Sunday. What's more important, Good Friday or Easter morning? You know, the, the drinking of the wrath of the cup you know, of God or the the conquering of death. But friends, I want to propose to you that both of those, that's only the beginning, as we will see in our text today. That in the death, burial, and resurrection, that is that's the job that is only yet begun. Father, friends, that we have so much more that we will see in the ascension of Christ as well. So, if you, with that, if you want to turn with me into Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Our text today is verses 8 through 10, and I'm going to go back up to verses 4 just to give a little bit of context here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs. To your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, we are completely dependent upon you your work. And we're reminded of this every week as we come before you just to drink of your well, to be washed in the word, God. I pray that you would be abundantly with us at this time, that we might behold you and see your beauty and to drink of your grace all the much more. God, bless us in this time through your word. Amen. Brief outline of where we're going in this sermon. The main idea the main idea, is that as a local body, you guys, as a local body, Christ has fully equipped us for his work, not only in the death, burial, and resurrection, but also in the ascension back to the Father. Not only in the death, burial, and resurrection, but also in the ascension back up to the Father. So he, Paul shows us in three different ways. The first one is this reference to Psalm 68 that we see in verse 8. That's his, his proof text of why he's saying Christ has given us all these gifts. That's his proof text. So that's number one, looking at that verse 8. Number number two is the descending of Christ, the descension of Christ out of the throne room of God. And then number three, we're going to look at the ascension of Christ back to the Father. So the proof text, Psalm 68, why, why Paul can say, that Christ has given us grace according to, uh, to His measure. The descending of Christ from the throne room of God and then the ascension of Christ back, back to the Father. Number one, this uh, verse 8 here. We'll include verse 7. Give a little more context. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Now, in in the context of what's going on in chapter 4, Paul is affirming the unity of the local body, the unity of the church. There's one body, one spirit, just as you called one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again and again and again. It's one, one, one. Then you have a little contrast, a little progression. But, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's this unity that we have in the local body. But, There's also a diversity as well. Not surprisingly, it reflects the beautiful character of God. That there is one God. There's unity there. But there's also diversity. Three different persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not surprisingly, that's reflected in the local body as well. So within this, we have this diversity of gifts that have been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Paul uses this... Psalm 68, this reference to Psalm 68 as this proof text. And so he says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what's going on on chapter 4 of Ephesians, what's going on in Psalm 68 is it's this beautiful psalm, a Davidic psalm, where God comes and destroys his enemies, annihilates his enemies. And when that is done, he ascends back to the sanctuary, receiving gifts as, as though he were a ruling king, and the, the, the lands that he have conquered, all these satellite kings are paying tributes to the true king. That's what's going on. Ultimately, friends, we see that this is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the one who has come down, Christ is the one who's defeated the true enemies of sin and death and the devil. Christ is the one who's gone back into the sanctuary, back to the Father. In, in Ephesians 1, we see that um, Paul is wanting the, the same power that he worked in Christ to be worked in, in the believers as well. Right? When he, verse 20, chapter 1, when he says that he raised him and seated him in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion. So we see this rising of Christ, fulfilling Psalm 68, So that's what's going on. As you quickly, you will quickly notice as you're meditating on Psalm 68 later tonight, you'll quickly notice that Paul changes the words, though. In the Psalm, in the Davidic Psalm, he's receiving gifts. As you read it in Ephesians 4, he's giving the gifts. Giving the gifts. So as Christians, we want to be faithful to the text. We want to be faithful to the Bible. So we're just going to take a little bit of time and say, what do we do? As Christians, how do do we answer this? Is the Bible not reliable? Did Paul not have a, a good copy of the Old Testament available to him? Is the Word of God not sure? When we answer questions like this, we must first have a posture of humility when when we approach the Word and realize that we are not the ones over the Bible, examining the Bible. We are not the ones judging the Bible, but rather we approach the Bible and we are the ones under the Bible. We are the ones being judged by the Bible. So when we approach questions like this of, why was it changed? We must first approach it with a heart of humility. And secondly, We see that it's Paul's. It's not his intent to directly quote it. As a first-century Jew studying under uh, Gamaliel, he would have had it all memorized, The, the whole Old Testament. He had it memorized. So, if he wanted to quote it directly, he would have. He would have done it, but he didn't. And why didn't he do it? Because in light of Christ. He's not quoting Psalm 68, he's applying it. He's interpreting Psalm 68 in the light of Christ, in the work that Christ has done. So we we do the same thing when we quote Scripture. It's, it's quite rare that we'll quote it directly, but we'll we'll typically make a reference to the particular text. So if I say I'm working at Mindot and I ask for next Friday off, and my supervisor, instead of a piece of bread, he gives me a stone. Well, I didn't quote it directly, but you know what's going on, right? I didn't get the day off. That's quite apparent. So you you understand my reference back to Matthew 7, and asking and seeking and knocking. So you understand that even though it's not a direct quote. Same thing going on here as Paul is quoting Psalm 68. So friends, I just want to encourage you to be humble in your approach to Scripture, especially us. So many of us are in this Reformed camp and we are caged animals so many times, wanting people around us to see the supremacy of God and the sovereignty of God in all things. And typically this can sometimes take an academic route. But friends, I pray that as a church, we would never lose our understanding of Scripture as not only something to be studied, friends, But it's something to be treasured and and delighted in. As we see in Psalm 119, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So we've seen how Paul uses, not quotes, but he interprets, he applies Psalm 68 to verify why he can say that Christ is one who's come and given all these gifts of grace. Now we're going to see this great drama of Christ, uh, this unfolding in in two great movements, the descending of Christ out of the throne room of God and the ascension of Christ back in. So we'll carry on in verse 9. It says, In this saying, he ascended. What does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Now, perhaps you... This is like Paul's version of, uh, if you give a mouse a cookie. I don't know if you guys remember that book. <laughs> but it's So Paul, he's talking about the unity of the church, and then he goes, wait, no, I'm going to talk about the diversity of the church. And he talks about that, and then, oh, well, that reminds me of Psalm 68. I'm going to pull quote that. And then, oh, Psalm 68, well, that's... A- about the ascending and descending of Christ. So let me just make a small parenthetical statement of the ascension and the of, Christ, or the descending and the ascending of Christ. And so it's say, even in your Bibles. I think in the ASV it has it in a parenthetical. So it's like Paul's. If you give him also, a cookie. and then and then he goes back on. It, and then he goes back online. So this is Paul's version of that. and You have the whole drama of Christ explained in two great movements. The descending of Christ and the ascension of Christ. The the first coming down to establish the church through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then you have the empowering of the church. That happens, happens subsequent to him going back to the Father. And this descending of Christ, we celebrate it. Every year. This one we know well. Right around Christmas, we love it, right? But Paul, this is what Paul is... He's not referring to a descending to the lower regions of the earth, um, like going down to hell, or he's not referring to the grave, but he's just saying, descending down to the lower regions, that is the earth. So it's a picture of him coming out of the throne room, God, to earth. Not going down to hell during the three days, or not going into the grave. That's not what Paul is referring to here. But in the sovereign, eternal plan of God, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's in Galatians 4. And then Hebrews, we also see that, thankfully, He descended to us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet he is without sin. And cognitively, you're probably realizing this, you're going, big deal, right? Jesus came, I've heard this a million times. But we understand this to be true, but our actions and our affections... We declare that we do not understand the magnitude of what has truly happened in Christ coming to the earth. And this, this is how we declare that we don't understand it. We reference that God did not come, Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This very Christ, who through God through him made the sun and the moon and the stars. He came down and he was incarnate in the flesh. What social gutter are you willing to go into for the sake of Christ? Name one. Many of you can't. I can't. Personally, I can't. I want to exalt myself. Why? Why is this? Why can't I think of one? Because I don't appreciate, nor do I have godly affections for what God has done in Christ. He is the one who has descended down to redeem his bride. He is the one who has descended down to redeem his church. How are you doing it? How are you descending down? For the sake of Christ and for the sake of his church. Maybe you, you descend down by selling all that you have, giving up your good career, buying some plane tickets, packing some suitcases, packing them up, and you go toil away in the mission field. Maybe that's how you descend down. Moms, maybe your descending down is that you toil and raise your children so that their blood might be shed for the sake of Christ. So that the blood of your children might make the, fir- the fields fertile for this great harvest. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you descend down. For the sake of Christ. Mirroring the work that God has already done in Christ. Christ is the one who descended down. So we also descend. Christ is the one who loves. So we love. And this goes against everything in the natural man. We want to exalt ourselves, not only in the face of God, but amongst each other. So we consumed with what car I drive, or what house I have, or are my children obedient? We're not asking, are they obeying me so that they might obey God? We're asking, do they, do they look foolish? Are they making me look bad in front of other people? That's exalting yourself. Friends mirror the work of God in Christ that we might descend, that we might be a church who goes down into the gutters. As Christ has come down here into this chaos and he gave everything he had. That is our standard as a church. So we will descend down in every way that we can that Christ might be exalted, that God might be glorified. So just to recap where we've gone, this main, this main idea that we're pushing forth in verses 8 through 10, is that as a local body, you guys, right here, Christ has fully equipped us, not only in his death, burial, and resurrection, but also in his ascension back to the Father. So first we looked at Psalm 68 and how Paul uses that as the proof text or as an application of, of this psalm to, to verify what he has said the work of Christ and we look about the descending of Christ and now we'll look that the job is well begun but it is not quite yet done so the Christ also ascends back to the Father so the ascension of Christ let me just read verse 10 again he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things for years I pondered this question after I became a Christian Why did Jesus go back to the Father? After the death, burial, and resurrection, he's here. If anyone's capable, if anyone's gifted, or if anyone can grow and nurture and disciple this church, that's Christ. You can't say Christ would be bad at that, right? Christ would be very, very good at it. Yet he left his disciples and he ascended back to the Father. One of the reasons we see in Hebrews is that he is the great high priest. So he is going into the throne room of God as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And he is offering this his sacrifice to the Father, interceding on our behalf. So that's one reason why Christ my back. Another one is that Christ has said that you guys, he can accomplish more through you than he can on his own. You see that in John 14, he says, he promised his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going back to the Father. Do you believe this to be true? Look around. Do you believe that should be true? Look at yourself. Do you think it's true of yourself? The answer is no. No. Look to God. Then the answer is yes. Friends, as a church, as we come together and covenant together and live life together, when we focus upon Christ being highly exalted through the Holy Spirit working in us, you will do mighty, mighty things. You look to yourselves and your own ability, whether it be music or engineering or medicine, it's nothing. Look in a To the exalted Christ. Then we will drink of this wonderful promise. That he will accomplish more through you. Through this local body. Through this gifted church. Than he can do on his own. God will be exalted through you. comes with a great responsibility, but a wonderful, wonderful privilege. I pray that we would be a church that doesn't become focused upon who we are, but that we would always exalt Christ and look to Christ, that the Spirit would work through us just flesh, jars of clay, that He might be exalted, that He might be lifted high. God, I pray that that would be how he works through us. He has promised that it will happen. If we focus on him, it certainly will. Through his working. Through you and through you and through you. That is the ascension of Christ back to the Father. And marvelous things might be done. Great, great things might be done. Through you guys. Through the local church. So as we see children running around in chaos and and worship and we're trying to get ready for that and we're arguing about deacons, let us not lose sight of what is truly happening. That the exalted Christ is working, that God is working through the Holy Spirit that he might be glorified. As we come together, friends, I pray that we would never lose sight of that. Not only as a church, but in your heart. Your own lives, in your marriages, as you raise children, that Christ might be exalted and glorified. So, friends, in closing, we have seen the in the providence of God, He has fully equipped you for the work of the church. And as Paul quotes Psalm sixty eight as a proof text of this. And in, in light of that, Paul kind of goes in this little rabbit trail where he talks about the descending of Christ. And then we all just begin to ask ourselves, how do I mirror the work of Christ? How can I descend myself? How can I crucify the flesh? How can I become less that he might become more? That is the descension, the descending of Christ. And there's the ascending of Christ back to the Father. and subsequently the giving of the Holy Spirit. If you, are, if you are in Christ, you are filled with this wonderful Holy Spirit. And we just say that God might be glorified through you as, as this church, as He fulfills His promise through the church. Pray that we would be people who are focused upon the exalted and the ascended Christ. Your hearts in your minds throughout the week. I pray that that might be your focus. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you have done so much. We, you've come and redeemed us. You, you've humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross. In so many ways, we want to exalt ourselves in front of others, and in, in front of your face, we we seek to have right standing with you by thinking that we're a good people. God, I pray that we would see our sin and just to know your love and your greatness all the much more, Father. I pray as a church that we would focus upon you as the ascended Christ that we would not endeavor to do this great work or this great task by ourselves but father we would just come to you throw ourselves at your feet and ask that you would use us as jars of clay that you might be glorified and worshiped not only in this time but throughout eternity amen